Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Did you know that it's Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month? Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, like Cardon, Kaja, Amelia George, and Hey Meave. Whether you're looking for a good Korean skincare or affordable and trendy jewelry, they've got you covered. Plus, you can help to support college access and student success when you donate online or round up in-store to APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. Hey, y'all, and welcome to Trials to Triumphs. I'm Ashley Blaine Featherston Jenkins, but you can call me ABFJ. This week, Tunde Oyenane, motivational speaker and author of Speak, talks to me about entering a new season of her life. During the height of the pandemic, as I was entering a new season of my own life, I bought a Peloton and started taking spin classes. Tunde, an instructor and host of the brand's debut podcast, made me feel like I could push harder and my life has never been the same. Even on the days when I wake up desperate to go back to the sedentary life I had before I knew what a spin class was and relax on the sofa, she inspires me to push forward without fear. All of the things, I was allowing fear to steer. I was allowing fear to hold me hostage. I was telling myself a lie and I was playing it on repeat until I believed it. The voices in our heads were the only ones that can hear them. And that's what gives them so much power because they circle, they circle, they circle until we decide to stop it and then push it out. Until we decide to stop it and ask that thought to leave. Recognizing when it's time to move on to the next stage in your life is difficult. Tunde taught me that we have to be willing to trust the process. In doing so, she's learned to allow God to use her and not sweat the chapter turns that make up the book of her life. And so I was in this space of uncertainty, supreme uncertainty. If there's anything that I've learned from that moment, to this is the beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. And in our Sankofa moment, Tunde tells us who her favorite motivator from history is and why. When somebody shows you who they are, we are better able to see ourselves. And I think that the gift that she's given to so many of us is that She was so generous with showing us her inner dialogue. Hi, Tunde. How are you? Hey, girl. Hey, I'm great. How are you? I'm so excited to talk to you. So here's the deal. I'm obsessed. You completely got me through quarantine and you're still getting me through. Um, I am 
you know, the woman that everybody was talking about during the pandemic that like felt very sedentary in the pandemic, bought a Peloton, and my life has never been the same since. And, you know, you were such a beacon of hope, of light, of encouragement for me. You just felt like a mirror. I felt like I I was able to feel physically fit, but also while doing it with someone that looks like me, feels like me, speaks to me the way I speak to others. And then in reading your book, Speak, I was like, oh my gosh, we are so similar. I feel like we have a lot of the same ideals and also we look at the world and at life in a very similar way. So I am so grateful that you're here and I'm so excited to get to know you better. Oh my gosh, well, that's a lot. Thank you so much. It's such a beautiful, warm welcome. I think we need to get a tea or a mimosa next time I'm in LA. One or the other, I'll let you choose. No, I'd like to have both, please. Both. (laughs) Both. (laughs) Yeah, I can't decide. So I want both. We're gonna have to do both. So, okay. So let's, let's go to the beginning. What would you say in your upbringing was the greatest lesson your parents ever gave you? Individually, collectively? My dad taught me that I'm a queen. And Mm. my mother always showed me, my mother was a very beautiful woman, like stopped on the street for her beauty. My mother showed me that her beauty got people's attention, but it was her words that caused them to stay. And so as a young person that showed me that to not rely on my looks. Mm. She taught me that her beauty got people's attention, but the only reason they stayed to actually listen was because the power of her voice. Wow. And you have a book called Speak. Look at that. Wow. Wow. That's, that's really. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, when I read Speak, there was a lot I took from it, but I I want you to give our listeners an insight as to who Tunde was before you were in all on all of our bikes and in all of our homes with Peloton, right? You have, in a lot of ways, it's like you've lived so many different lives. So many lives. Right? And But honestly, I think that's the point. I think we're supposed to experience and live and renew ourselves and change and grow. And I just think you're such an example of that, a shining example of that. And and you've made it really clear, there's more lifetimes to come. There's more life to live ahead. And so I want to know, what was the time in your life when you really felt the shift, the shift into becoming more of who you are today? 
I will start and say, I actually just spoke with Chase Jarvis the other day, if you know who that is. And we spoke about this idea of people often have this idea that you're only allowed to live life one way or to have one trade or one craft or one passion that you're really into. And that type of thinking limits dreaming because you think to yourself, I can't do this one thing because what I do is this thing. And those two things can't coexist at the same time. If this moment that I'm living in right now, this moment, if it's taught me anything, it's taught me that you can be every version of yourself and you can do it at the exact same time. I lift heavy weights. I wear red lipstick. Those two things aren't usually done at the same time. I am the first ever fitness trainer to sign a contract with Nike. At the same exact time, I'm one of the faces of Revlon while being an author. The things shouldn't live together. It doesn't make sense, which is why it makes perfect sense. I want to talk about the Tunde before you really decided to lean into the pivot. What were you like? What did life feel like for you at that time? I was overweight. Uh, I went to a predominantly white school. And predominantly is not even it. Like, it was an all-white school. There was like okay. five black people. Okay. <laughs> I was yeah. like five or six black people. I was the only dark-skinned black girl. There was one other girl who was like kind of dark. Um, so I, I say that to say I felt very much othered. I didn't see anybody that looked like me except for when I went to church. Um, and the book I speak to, it is almost this two worlds that I was living in. I would go to church with my family and we went to a Nigerian church deep in Houston. And then before I'd go to the Nigerian church, I'd go to church with my best friend. Her name is Beth. She's white. And I would go to white church. So I'd go to white church and then my parents would pick me up and then I'd go to Nigerian church. And so at the white church, we would say amen at the white church. And then I'd go to the black church and they'd say amen. And so it was like living Mm. in these different worlds. I would be one way at the white church and then I'd be a different way at the Nigerian church. And I think two things came out of that. One, I decided that I needed to show up the same within every space. Because what happens when you are being the person that you think other people want you to be, then when opportunity arises or when conflict meets you, you don't know how to act. You question how they would want you to approach a situation versus just approaching the situation the way that you would want to meet it. You have to ask yourself, well, how would this person behave? And then you have to put that show on versus just coming to the table as you are. And so that was part of the evolution for me. I think that growing up in the way that I did, it also showed me that we just go about life differently based on our upbringing. I think that when we are vulnerable enough to share our story, then we realize that while we are different, we are more alike than we are 
different. Ashley, you opened by saying that you read my book and there were moments and there were parts, stories that you related to. My hope, my goal in writing the book is that people would see themselves in me. And by virtue of doing that, we realize that we don't have to know each other to get each other and to see each other Mm. because we share so many lived experiences, but it takes that vulnerability. It takes talking about the things to realize that we're all going through the same things. Yeah. You know, that's, that's why I really feel like in a lot of ways we're similar and we share the same values because that was my exact impetus for this podcast. You know, I talk about how I've received so many blessings and my life has been able to transform and change because people chose to be vulnerable with me and give me the real and and share intimate parts of their life with me that helped me see myself more clearly in order to live more fully in the truth of who I am, right? And these are the stories that I want to bring to this podcast. And yours is a very important one that I want people to hear. And I want people to deeply digest because the season that we see you in right now has not always been like this. And I think that sometimes we get stuck on where the person is and not on how they got there, what happened to them along the way. And that's where we can relate, right? That's how when I am, you know, I want to write a book one day, I know I can come to you and you're going to give me the real. You're going to say, Ashley, this is what I went through. This is something that I would do that I didn't think to do until later, but this is some advice I can give to you. And then I give it to the next person and then it's a ripple effect. And now we're all better for it. One thing that you just said that I have to unpack When people show you who they are, you see yourself Mm -hmm. more clearly. When people show you who they are, you see yourself in them. And then you have a better idea, scope of who you are. Okay. I want to know, you were a makeup artist, right? Was there a time that you felt like, I'm okay doing this? Like, if I do this for the rest of my life, I'm, I, I would be happy and I would be okay. I loved it. I left. So I grew up in Houston, Texas. Shout out to H-Town. I left Houston. And, you know, I always forget when I tell this story because I had a fake ID for so long. I don't actually recall how old I was, but I think. Okay. Uh, girl. <laughs> what? Keep it all the way real. I think I was 21. I think I was 21. And I moved to L.A from Houston. And I left because I got this opportunity to be an intern on a TV show as a makeup artist. And so I with my was in my last year at the University of Houston, I decided to leave school because this was a once in a lifetime opportunity to intern for the show and I I had to, you know, I had to go. As I'm driving from Houston to LA with my car hitched on the back of a U-Haul, I get a call that the person that I was going to work under, they've just been fired. So go ahead and come to, to, to LA, but you have no job. <laughs> of course, of course. Of course. And so, you know, I, I do the work at the makeup counter thing. And then I, I, I realize that there is really an opportunity for a career. You had 401k, you got benefits, the whole deal. Um, There's a way that I could make a life out of this. I saw senior leaders and VPs and thought to myself, that's what I want to do one day. 
And so I worked really hard for 12 years and just about every two months or, or two years or so there, uh, getting promoted and promoted and then working for a different company and getting a new promotion. And so it was like I was working my way up the ranks. And then finally I land my dream job, the job that I've been working my ass off for. And what and was day, the job? What's the job? It was like a, like a national artist. I'm traveling around the world. I'm doing celebrity house calls. I'm training makeup artists. I'm doing- All these, of the things. Yeah, wow. these big shows. I'm on a stage. Like from the outside, I had my nice car. I had my dream car. I lived in a nice neighborhood. From the outside looking in, I'd made it. I was good. Mm. People would have killed for my job. I would have killed for that job. Mm. And then one day I woke up and I looked myself in the mirror and I had the audacity to admit to myself that I hated the job. Wow. And I say the audacity to admit to myself because I felt so ungrateful. Mm. I felt Mm. so ungrateful. Here's this thing that you ask for you think about, you speak into fruition, you manifest, it's here. And now you're saying you don't like it. And so I was in this space of uncertainty, supreme uncertainty. If there's anything that I've learned from that moment to this is The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility when you don't know what's next. And so then anything, anything can be next. You opened up the Mm -hmm. scope of what can be next. When you think you know what's supposed to be next, you're in the state of tunnel vision. And so you're looking for opportunities that only fall within the realm of what you think you should be doing next. Mm -hmm. When you are Mm -hmm. uncertain, you don't know what's coming, so you don't know what to look for. And so when opportunity presents itself, you're more open to looking in different directions because you don't know where you're supposed to be going anyways. It doesn't feel good, though, when you're in the uncertainty, you call it being lost. We call it doubt. We call it being lost and we call it being doubt. We don't call it opportunity for the next thing to meet us. We call it doubt. I think that doubt's not a bad thing. I think that doubt feels like friction. It feels like indigestion. It feels like fire in your chest. Imagine, maybe if only just for a moment, imagine that when doubt enters, it's a course correction trying to make way. And if we choose to lean into doubt rather than fight it, create the friction, the fire. If we choose to lean into doubt, then we lean into mm-hmm. the message that was trying to make its way in. Whether you're doubting a friendship, a relationship with a friend mm-hmm. that sucks your soul. Maybe you are doubting a relationship with your partner. Mm-hmm. your career, a project you're working on, rather than create the internal conflict, what if we looked at it as an opportunity 
to accept the message. You know, first of all, you're an orator. I just keep going back to your book being called Speak. You speak with such conviction and Mm. honesty and you take your time. I like that. Like I'm just sister to sister. I just want to say that I see you in that. And it's really important because this is how messages seep in exactly when and how they're supposed to. But I want to go back to you talking about when doubt creeps in and, and you feeling ungrateful for not being super happy and bubbly about this job, right? And I think it's a feeling that a lot of people feel at least once in their life, but I would say people feel it multiple times in their lives. And what I think it's calling you to do is it's calling you to make a choice. Doubt is saying, we can keep living like this Mm -hmm. if you want to, or we can make a different choice, or we can try something different, or we can... You know, rather than constrict, we can release. We can say, you know what? We can just literally let it go. Let our muscles just feel free and get loose and wobbly and say, you know, universe, God, what you have for me, send it my way. Because I don't know which way to go, but I know that my steps are ordered and I know that I'm going where I should be headed in order to live my life's purpose, but I don't know which way to go. And that's okay. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. My new thing is when things seem like they're going wrong. Like, you know, sometimes you have a day where like, you know, you're clearing the dishwasher and you drop the bowl. You, you know, are going to a lunch meeting and you get there 30 minutes early because you had the time written down wrong. You know, you are talking to a friend and they thought you said something you didn't say. It's one of those days. It's just like, Why is everything going wrong? You know, you hear that you auditioned for something, you didn't get it. All of the things sometimes are happening. Mm. My new thing is I take a second and I say, why is this happening for me? I don't say why is this happening to me. I say, why is this happening for me? And sometimes it's simply to slow down. That's Mm. it. Just to sit my butt down somewhere. I'm not Mm. supposed to be clearing the dishwasher and doing this and doing that. It's just, it's it's calling me to rest. Other times, it's calling me to have a different perspective about something. Mm-hmm. Some other times, it's causing me to sit in, in my thoughts and that makes me think to call someone I need to call. Whatever it may be, when I stop and think that everything that ever happens is for me, not to me, then that that helps ease everything. And so, so I want to know, you had finally gotten to your dream job, right? And you just weren't happy. And you had doubt about your feelings, what to do next, you know, all of the things. What did you do? What did you do after you admitted that to yourself in the mirror? I took a cycling class that changed my life. Uh, not the next day, but but sometime after I... 
you know, I was in this space of just darkness. I wasn't myself. My light was, I'll say dimmed, but in many ways, my light was gone. And I was in New York for a makeup gig. And I decided I'd never gone to an indoor cycling studio, never done it, but there was a studio in New York. So I said, let me go try this, see what the you know, all the rave is yes, about to go see what it is. And so I go to this cycling class. By the time I sit down, clip in, it's $40 deep. I'm debating if I can just quit, you know, quickly turn around so I can get my money back because I didn't realize it would be so expensive. <laughs> so I'm judging myself. So three minutes into the class, I'm in this state of euphoria. 45 minutes later, I unclip from the bike. I'm walking back to my hotel room. My walk turns into a skip and then the skip turns into a hop. And within a matter of five seconds, I feel this wave of blue energy move from my fingers to my toes. And within the matter of that five seconds, it's like this divine download of information moves through me. I knew in that moment that I would be cycling for the rest of my life. I knew in that moment that I would be teaching on the world's greatest platform. I did not at that time even know what Peloton was. And I knew that I'd be able to impact the lives of millions of people. I was certain, certain Mm. meaning with no doubt. I saw it. I start laughing and while I'm laughing in this moment, I start crying. And I start laughing and I start crying because I knew it to be true. I trusted and I never had more trust in myself than I, or any one thing than I did in that moment. And so I get back to LA and then imposter syndrome sets in. Mm -hmm. And imposter syndrome says, you don't look like an instructor. You're not fit enough. You don't know how to do it. You've done this thing one time, cycling one time, and now you say you want to teach you teach classes and this is going to be the thing you do. You're not inspiring or motivating. The sound of your voice will drive people crazy. Oh my God, it's my favorite thing. <laughs> <laughs> I still don't have my voice, but thank you. What? Oh, all the things, all of the things. I was allowing fear to steer. I was allowing fear to hold me hostage. I was telling myself a lie and I was playing it on repeat until I believed it. Mm. The voices in our heads were the only ones that can hear them. And that's what gives them so much power because they circle, they circle, they circle until we decide to stop it and then push it out. Until we decide to stop it and ask that thought to leave. Otherwise, it runs on repeat, repeat. We all have like four, five, six things that we think about all the time. Six lies that we tell ourselves on repeat. You're talking about one day you wake up and you think about this thing. And then three hours later, there's another lie that you tell yourself. And this is the circle that you do. Circle of lies. And that's what limits us and holds us back. Uh, It was a good friend of mine, actually. I told two friends that, you know, hey, I had this vision. This is the thing that I saw. I'm sure about it. And my friends, one of them is not a crier at all. And she starts crying. And I said, why are you crying? She said, Tunde, you've never said anything that sounded more right for you than this. And here I am thinking that they're going to say, girl, Mm. you better go get your esthetician's license and just start doing eyebrows if you're tired of makeup. Like, this is, you know, stay within your lane. And they didn't. I think that... There's something beautiful about 
the people that you keep closest to you and the people that you trust. I've always been wildly mindful of who I entrust with my deepest thoughts. I think that when Mm -hmm. you share your thoughts with people, you're giving them so much power because someone, you have the the frenemies that will bring you down. And then you have some of the people that are closest to you and love you the most who in an effort to protect you, they limit you. In an effort to protect you, they say, no, don't do that. You shouldn't do that. Well, first you got to do this, inflicting their own fears on you. Yeah. And so I told this to two people who made me feel like I could do it, who saw me doing it, and then held me accountable. Hey, Tunde, when are you going to get your uh, cycling certification? Hey, Tunde, when are you going to mm-hmm. audition to teach at a class? I mean, I got my, my certification. My certification sat on a, a, a table collecting dust for eight months because I did mm-hmm. it to appease them, went got the certification, but then didn't audition for anything because I was afraid of the rejection. I was afraid of humiliating myself. Whoever's going to watch me is going to think, how dare this girl think that she can come and audition, that she's good enough to do this. Mm. Okay, I I have to go back to the moment after your first cycling class when it all hit you, when you had the divine download that that was exactly where you were supposed to be. When you think about that moment you had when in some ways the life that you were meant to have flashed before your eyes, (laughs) that's kind of how I see it. Like it flashed before you, like where you're headed. And you think about where you are now. I wish you all could see me seeing her in her office with her book behind her, having just taught a class. It actually makes me emotional because, you know, this is what we talk about when we say dreams come true. And the best part about this is that it wasn't a dream that you had ever had. And that's what I want people to take from this. Let your life surprise you. Just listen and answer the call when it comes and have the people around you who I like to call destiny advocates, like your friends that you mentioned, who will lift you up and support you and have seen this for you all along. Of course it made sense to them. Duh. Nothing could have made more sense because that's how connected they are to who you are and your purpose. And they want the best for you. And so I want to know, have you, before we get into like how it all really started to change, have you genuinely been able to sit in what it is now and what it's become? Have you had, have you been able to like take yourself? Cause I, and I'm asking because I have a tough time doing that. Mm -hmm. Like really sitting and being like, I'm in my house. I used to be in a 300 square foot studio. (laughs) When did that happen? Like sometimes you have to literally pat yourself on the back because the only way you got there was because you were tenacious and you didn't stop. And even though you let it collect us for the eight months, eight months in the span of a lifetime is nothing. You're still here you're still standing. You're standing taller than you ever have before. You're using all of your gifts for good. And I just, I just want to, it makes me emotional, but I just want to commend you for that 
because that's the example that we're trying to set. That's how I am able to live my life more fully and in more alignment with my dreams. And that's how everybody else listening is going to, too. Yes. Not all day, every day. Yes. I'm sitting here in my library. Let's rewind that statement. I'm sitting here in my library. Yeah, girl, I call um, it the office. So you got a library? When, my apologies. It's a library. <laughs> when, I, when I, I didn't mean it like that, but when I when No, I I'm kidding, LA, but that's amazing. When I moved to LA, my studio apartment was smaller than the size of said library. So the bathroom, the toilet, the the stovetop, the refrigerator wouldn't have fit in this space. I tried out for every single sport and I Mm. never made the cut. I never made the team. And now I lead people every single day. If if you were to look back over your life, I'm sure there's many things, but what would you say has been something that was incredibly, it could be a thing, it could be a person, it could be an idea about yourself that was just incredibly difficult to let go. But when you did, things opened up for you on the other side. Um, when my brother was 19, when my little brother was 19, he passed away. Not at all expected, very unexpectedly. Mm. And then three years after that, I lost my dad, unexpectedly. And then three years after that, I lost my mom, again, unexpectedly. Mm. I lost half of my immediate family members within six years. And I was mad, I was mad. Yeah. It didn't feel fair. It didn't feel fair that I, I, myself, my brothers, my niece, my nephews, that we'd suffered again and again and again. And it didn't feel fair that we then became the family that people used as an opportunity to show grace and thanks for the family they had. You say, wow, Mm. you grieve for the people. And then you go home and you think, oh my God, I'm so grateful that we're okay. And then it happens again. You say, oh my. And we became, we continued to become the, that would never happen to us. Thank God that hasn't happened to us. Mm. I'd hit my rock bottom over and over again. I was in a space where people were going to accept it. One day I woke up and I realized that you don't get to choose what happens to you, but you do get to choose how you react. You don't get to choose how you, what happens to you, but you do get to choose how you react. Every single day is new. And so I choose to show up new in it. I'm going to continue to live mm. because they cannot. I would, I would do anything. You can take the library. Let me go back to my studio apartment. I would do anything to see any one of them again, even if just for a moment. And with that said, in losing them, I stepped into the greatest version of myself. I would not have become, I would not be becoming 
who I am now mm. had I not gone through that experience. We're going back to what we were saying before about lessons, the lesson that I learned within myself, within each of those experiences, within each loss. In losing them, I stepped into, because she was already there, I just hadn't met her yet. I stepped into the greatest version of myself. You know, I've had many people on this podcast share their stories of grief. And they're all just different, but the same in the sense that everyone talks about how grief never leaves you. It's always with you. Might change form, but it's always there. So I want to know, how do you celebrate in the midst of grief? I think that, well, I'll say that we all experience and move, not even through, you move with grief. Mm. We all experience and move with grief differently. You express it differently. For me, it's, I am closer to the ones that I lost now than I was with them in human form. I always say this, yes. When I close my eyes, I know what they would say. And I can hear it. I can hear it. My favorite place to be on the planet is in the sand by the ocean. And when I'm at the beach with my feet in the earth, I can hear my mother in the waves. When I open Mm. my windows, I can hear her singing in the trees. When I don't know that I can do something or that the opportunity is going to come, my father says, yeah, yeah, don't worry. I hear them. Mm. So, wow. yeah, it, it's how do I find joy still? There's joy in knowing that yeah. we're still connected. We're ever connected. And so why not have joy with whatever time it is here that I get to be here. And, and, you know, I mean, you're able to still celebrate because you know that they are a part of your wins. Like, I know whatever comes my way. I know Nana, my Nana who passed away in 2019, she's got her hands all over it. My Nana can do things for me in heaven that she could never do in an earthly place. Oh, absolutely. My dad's up there negotiating. Every day, negotiation. Oh, yeah. Like, please, please, please do this for this girl. (laughs) Right. My mom is telling him to settle down, settle down. And my dad's like, no, no, no. She's going to get this. She's going to get this. Tunde, what has been your takeaway from our conversation today? That you are a beacon of light and hope and you're the next generation. Oh, thank you, my friend. My takeaway is remember. So many times, that's my takeaway. I was going to say that I was like, no, it's just to remember because there's so many things that you said, even if it's just what you told yourself at 13 came to pass many years later. But the only way it could feel that way is because you remembered. And that is so important to look back and say, wow, I spoke Mm. this over my life before I knew Mm. what it meant. Mm -hmm. So it has to mean that my life has meaning. Mm, um, Tende, listen, girl, I, I don't even know. I mean, you mean so much to me and so much to everyone. 
And I am so happy to see you basically everywhere that I look. And I want you to know that I champion you. I believe in you. I'm praying for you. And I thank you. I love you. And I honor you. Thank you so much for saying yes. Mm, Thank you, sis. Love to you. After the credits, the resilient orator who helps Tunde better see her own image. Stay tuned. Thank you for listening. This podcast is produced by LWC Studios for OWN. The show's executive producer is Juleka Lentigua. Managing producers are Camille Stennis and Paulina Velasco. Editing assistance from Jordan Cowling. Mixed by Kojin Tashiro. Assistant producers are Michelle Baker and Shanice Tindall. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, and we hope you do, please make sure to subscribe, leave a rating, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts to ensure you hear the next one. Tunde, who is your favorite motivator from history and why? Oh, that's tough. Can I say my Angelou? Of course you can. Of course. Why? Um, I'd say she is the definition of resilience. Resilience is innate. It's something that lives in all of us. It's a matter of tapping into it. We said earlier that when somebody shows you who they are, we are better able to see ourselves. And I think that the gift that she's given to so many of us is that she was so generous with showing us her inner dialogue. And in doing that, the gift that we received was, is the ability to then see ourselves. Mm. That's a motivator. That's amazing. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela, you put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor, because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. Medela, the mark of the fight. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.